As a parent, I can't just teach my children what I expect of them. I have to model it as well. I can't tell them to be honest in everything they do and then call in sick from work so I can stay home and watch soccer. We call this practicing what we preach. As we've been discussing, Scripture tells us in Psalm 19 and Romans 1 that creation reveals the glory of God. But do we see Jesus and the authors of Scripture practicing what those verses preach? Today on the Disciple Science Podcast, we'll look into Scripture for the use of natural theology to help us better understand our relationship to God. And this should help you and I consider what role science and creation might play in our walk of faith. Hello and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm Dale Gentry. Thanks for joining me today. I might need to start with an apology because I took an unannounced break from the podcast over the past few weeks as I wrapped up the fall semester grading papers and exams and trying to take care of all of my roles and responsibilities as department chair and I also wanted to just spend some time focusing on my family and on celebration of Christmas and enjoying uh, Christmas break with my kids while they were home. So we did some, some sledding and some skiing and generally goofing off and having a wonderful time. Uh, but I didn't warn you all that that might happen. And so if any of you have been uh, waiting for the next episode to come out and tapping your thumbs and getting annoyed with me. I apologize, but I'm back and I think I'm going to pretty easily be able to return to our weekly uh, pattern in part because the other big announcement is that I am on sabbatical. What wonderful news that is to me, at least in that I've uh, been at Northwestern now for about 10 years, and finally I've got my first sabbatical. And so during the spring semester, I'm going to be devoting all of the time that I normally put into my students and my classes and my committee work and my uh, role as chair, and I'm going to devote it to disciple science. So I'll be working on a bunch of videos and the podcast and the website and just trying to get Disciple Science up and running. And so for those of you that are listening, um, thanks for bearing with me up to this point. I'm hoping that uh, that from this point forward, I'll be getting a little bit more regular uh, news out of Disciple Science and more regular videos and the podcast will be more predictable and all that good stuff. So if you were listening before this little unannounced Christmas break, you know that we've been going through uh, what nature can teach us of God. And so as we explore the intersection of science and faith, one of the most fascinating to me aspects of that is that science might be able to reveal to us um, theology, that science might be able to expose us to who God is by coming into deeper understanding of how the universe works and how the world works and how ecology works and how geology works and all that science can reveal to us. And so not only do we want to dig into all the controversies and try and help people see a vision for how science can be a meaningful part of their life and their journey of faith, but I also want to um, 
dig deeper and ask if science can actually contribute to theology and give us new, deeper, fuller understandings of who God is. So we introduced that idea in that it's rooted in Scripture, and we see it, as I mentioned in the intro, in Psalm 19 and in Romans chapter 1, and a few other areas of Scripture where it's alluded to that God can be known through what has been created. And um, that has led uh, thousands of Christians on a search for God in nature, and I think many people feel very comfortable with what they've found. Uh, and others maybe, especially I think in the past couple hundred years since the Enlightenment, that idea has become a little bit more murky. And so while I think natural theology and knowing God through nature is very appealing, it's very appealing to me as a scientist in, in hopes that while I'm out exploring the world, I might come to a deeper, fuller understanding of God through what I'm learning um, so very appealing, but it's also very mysterious. And I think a lot of people, perhaps myself included, are a little hesitant to embrace this, a little skeptical, in part because it's just not obvious or clear. Scripture is, is an obvious revelation, right? It is telling us the story of God and Jesus and the nation of Israel. It is speaking to us about our own lives through the lives of uh, these ancient people. And so it, it seems more stark that this is a clear revelation of God. Whereas when you go out for a walk in the woods, you encounter beauty and mystery and curiosity and uh, sometimes... Um, suffering and death. And you might wonder, are these emotions and are these aspects of nature pointing to something more? Or am I imposing that on what I'm seeing? Because you may be aware there are um, millions of atheists out there that are very frustrated with Christians trying to make meaning from nature. They say it's just it's just there, it just is. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. There's no there's no transcendent um, uh, consciousness or being behind it. There's no deity. It just is what it is. Stop trying to make something more out of it. So that's what we're trying to wrestle with, trying to make sense out of natural theology. And we uh, addressed how this terminology has been applied to numerous different fields. Some people use natural theology uh, as a way to describe um, attempts by some scientists to prove that God exists. Some people use natural theology as this idea that somehow um, humans have been created with what some people describe as sort of a, a God-shaped hole in our heart and that we all have this inclination to fill our lives with meaning and purpose and that is directing us towards God, those sorts of things. Uh, those are all interesting and maybe topics for another day, but the, the aspect of natural theology that I'm most interested in that I described earlier is that there is some intellectual resonance between what we can encounter in the natural world as a revelation of the, the nature of God and the character of God and our journey of faith. And so we have these Bible verses that allude to that, that tell us that 
creation reveals the glory of God, that the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Uh, We could go on, right? So that's Psalm 19. But what I want to ask is, do we see that preaching being practiced? Meaning, do we see Jesus uh, teaching using natural theology? Do we see the authors of Scripture writing and teaching using um, objects from nature to reveal spiritual truths, to reveal a a theology of who God is and how we should relate to him. Because if that was the case, I think we could strengthen our case for uh, there being something deeper in what's going on with nature than just what is plain before our eyes. So we're going to dig into the Bible and spend most of our time in the Gospels because If you're anything like me, you're very interested in what Jesus had to say and how he taught, but we'll dig into a few other corners of of Scripture as well to see what we can unearth, to see if the authors of Scripture and Jesus himself use natural theology to help us encounter God in a a different way. Um, And what we're going to discover, I think, is that is that much of Scripture, and but the verses, especially that we talked to about today, we're we're going to be invited or almost required to use our imagination to um, to consider and participate in the analogies presented, involving aspects of the created world to come to a, a fuller understanding of God, and we're going to. Um, uh, explore that in greater detail in next week's podcast as we consider what role imagination plays in natural theology. So we're going to start in the Gospels. In uh, John chapter 15, we see Jesus uh, right away using uh, an, an analogy here. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So Jesus portrays himself as as a vine, which is the source of the fruit, and God the Father is the, the gardener that prunes that vine, and what produces good fruit is retained and is pruned further to produce even more fruit, and what doesn't produce fruit is, is cut off. Right? So here, again, our imagination uh, uh, spins into this uh, vision of ourselves as either producers of good things that are desirable and nutritious and appealing, or, or we fail to do those things. And if we do those things, then God blesses us by pruning us further. Right? What does that mean? That pruning us further means we're removing the parts from our own lives that aren't producing fruit, and we all need to do that. We probably can describe what parts of our lives need to be removed, right? It's our, our time we spend with our smartphone, or the time we spend watching meaningless movies, or shopping on the internet, or, or uh, you know, reading trashy novels. I don't know what it is, right? But all of us probably need to prune things from our lives so that we can produce even more spiritual fruit. And the image of a vine and a gardener and the fruit that's produced and the relationship between pruning, and which is removing the 
the the dead parts or the the uh, the parts that are doing no good, so that the parts that are remaining can do even better, is a conduit for that truth. Is a conduit for this idea that we need to make sure that our lives are producing fruit, and we need to be actively. Uh, working with God to remove the parts of our lives that are distracting us from from doing good. So right away we see Jesus using images from the natural world to <clears throat> expose us to to novel and interesting ways to think about our relationship to God. Let's let's do more. This is this is interesting. So in Matthew chapter thirteen, Jesus uh, uses a parable teaches using a parable, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He goes on another parable. In the next verse, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it's worked all through the dough. Once again, we see examples of objects from the natural world. In this case, very small, minute things like uh, mustard seeds or yeast that have the capacity to grow into something significant and monumental. And this allows our imagination to conceive of how the kingdom of God is something that can start small as a, as a work inside our, our mind or our soul and our body, and that if we uh, work to spread that good news that our God reigns here on earth and that through Jesus we can be transformed and into his likeness, then we can grow and develop into something more meaningful and produce more good fruit um, and and grow in the way that mustard seed does or in the way that yeast does in bread. So again, Jesus using natural theology to reveal deeper truths about our relationship with him. Another one, let's do more. This is this is so fun. This is so interesting. And this is this is one of my favorite verses because Jesus is talking about birds. And um, if you haven't figured that out, that's just one of my favorite topics. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then here he goes again with more natural theology. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, he will not much more clothe you. Oh, you of little faith. Uh, what a remarkable analogy that it just gives more meaning and insight into our brains and allows us to have a deeper understanding of, in this case, the need to trust God and, uh, and have confidence that his provision is sufficient for us. 
uh, and Jesus uses birds and, and flowers as examples to say, look, God provides for them, and they do just fine without a savings account, without uh, storage bins, right? And, and I think that uh, the message here is not that we shouldn't prepare for the future. It's just that we shouldn't worry about it. We shouldn't fret about it. It shouldn't take over our lives. We should be wise, but we shouldn't allow um, the desire for uh, uh, preparing for our, our future and worrying about our clothes and worrying about our food to distract us from existing as, as participants in God's kingdom. Um, let, let's, let's look outside uh, the Gospels just, just briefly and dig into the Old Testament just to see if it's used there as well. And especially anybody that's spent any time in the Psalms know that we have just regular uses of, of metaphors where we compare God to light and to rock. Uh, in, in Psalm 62, David says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Right, so here we see repeated references in Psalm 62 and elsewhere to God as a rock to convince us that, that God is fixed, God is, God is immovable, God's not fleeting, right? There, there's grandeur and, and durability to our, our creator and that we can trust in, in God, right? And so we're starting to see here that the use of imagery from the natural world is pervasive. And this is, it seems almost too simple. Is Are these just turns of phrase? They're just literary metaphors? You know, some might argue that they are and just dismiss them as nothing more than, than just a, a convenient um, analogy that the authors chose to use. But I think there's more going on here than just words. But, you know, vines are real and seeds are real and yeast and bread and water and light and rocks and all of these um, objects that are used to help us better conceive of God and our relationship to him. These are real objects that the author points to to help us understand God, to help us imagine what life is like with God in it. And so this is a hint of what I'm curious about, what I'm searching for, that these messages are hidden in the created world. And is that just a function of the turn of phrase that the author used, or uh, which is one possibility, or there are others that, that see this with much greater intent from God, that God created these objects so that they could be used as, uh, as uh, sources of learning for us, right? That, that God created nature so that it can reveal the glory of God, that the primary purpose of the existence of creation is to function as a revelation of God. And that that's a hint of what Psalm 19.1 is saying. That that's a hint of what uh, Romans 1.20 is saying, that God created the material world with the purpose of revealing um, God's self to us through it. Now, I, I can't say that as, as, um, as factual, right? But this is a perspective that some take, and it's one that 
I don't know that I embrace, but I'm, I'm really exploring and interested in and will continue to um, discuss on the podcast and in future videos as we, uh, again, are, are wanting to wonder if our lives as scientists or just as people that are interested in nature might give us access uh, to God in a whole new way. I want, I want to end the episode today with one last reminder that we are told that the fullest revelation of who God is, the, the most clear revelation of who God is, is what? It is a man. It's Jesus Christ. That if we look at Jesus, uh, that we have the, the clearest picture of who God is. And that that message is repeated in numerous times throughout the New Testament. And while this might, that's probably not the way many people think of us, but that is an example of natural theology, that the fullest picture of who God is, is a created being, is Jesus, it is flesh and blood. And so through that natural object, we have a picture of God. So the Bible is full of analogies, using objects from the natural world to grant us access with our imagination to the true, full nature of God. And so we'll continue to explore this topic and dig deeper into uh, what role science then might play in giving us a clearer understanding of how pruning works, of how seeds germinate, of how light can carry theological messages that expose us to who God is. Thanks for listening to the Disciple Science Podcast. Disciple Science is a crowd-funded nonprofit organization that is exploring the intersection of faith and science. We're hard at work on more videos and resources that will help you see a vision for how the study of nature can be a valuable contribution to your walk of faith. Now, our goal is to make all these resources available completely free so that they can be a resource to everybody out there that sees value in them or that needs them. This issue is a stumbling block to faith for many, many people. And we, our greatest desire is just that this podcast and these videos would be a help to, to those that feel that way. Uh, so you can support production by contributing to Disciple Science via the support button on our website at disciplescience.com. It's in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, our, at our website, you can also explore all the rest of our resources, the videos that are out, the, uh, the, the newsletter that you can sign up for. You can uh, get our email address there where you can send us feedback about what you want to hear more about in the future. Uh, we'd love to get some feedback about the podcast and what uh, questions are popping up in your mind as you listen to it. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at disciplescience1 at gmail.com. Or we would love it if you would tweet at us. Uh, our handle is at disciplescience. And you can also find uh, our Facebook page. I want to once again thank Caleb Davis for producing this episode and for composing our theme music. I'm Dale. Thanks for listening, and we'll do it again soon.